So pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to come as we are, Lord, a people along the way, Lord, whether that is that there are those here that may be um, seeking and, and, and just kind of wanting to observe or maybe just definitively skeptical and, and um, or, you know, or just those who've newly come to faith in Christ or those who have been walking uh, this journey of faith in relationship for a long time. We thank you that we can come in here with all, all of us having a common need of your grace today and all of us having a common need of your truth transforming God. And so I pray as we come to these words on a page that we engage them as so much more than that, that we engage them as, as the, the very expression of your heart and your desire and your will and your character, Lord, uh, for all of creation, including us. So Lord, I pray that you would take this time, take the words that I speak, Lord, and, and I pray that you would just help me to get out of the way, Lord. Take these words that I speak, catch them a fire, that we would be transformed, that we would be made more able to to know that you love us, to love you in return, and to love the world around us in a way that reveals your goodness, in a way that reveals your holiness, in a way that reveals that, that you are the hope of the world and you have delivered us in Jesus. So, Lord, um, I just pray that you would either work in spite of me or through me. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we, as we jump in, um, you know, we, we've been working through Romans for, for a while now. We're kind of in the home stretch. Paul has just recently turned to focus as he, as he has been building this foundation of our faith, of who Jesus is, who, who we are, how we were created, um, what we were created for, what, like, what happened that made it all go wrong in our sin and how he restored. And then he's been giving us an assurance and a peace and a hope that cannot be taken away of our faith of our, um, of our security, um, and, and now he's turning his focus, he's been turning his focus to how, uh, how we should live as those who have a great assurance of faith and hope because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's important. It's not what you did, it's what he did, and that we have trusted that. So he's been building that foundation, and now it's like, okay, if you have experienced this, Romans 12 starts with this exhortation, now in respect to God's mercies. He says, in view of God's mercies, and these mercies that both allowed you to be redeemed by Jesus, that the mercy, if you don't know what mercy is, it is, it is not getting the consequence, the punishment, the destruction that is deserved, right? Like, that's what mercy is. And so because of this great mercy, we have an assurance of faith and hope. So he's wanting us to remember this as those who have been redeemed by Jesus and now, in, in the, and now are enabled to live with confidence and peace. And in this, your life is now a living sacrifice, both because of his mercy that it is able to be that, as well as a compelling to us. Let your life, make the aim of your life to be a living sacrifice unto God, meaning that your life, is as best as you know how and as best as you understand today, is lived for his purpose and his means and his power and his motives. So this is where we're at. So now he's showing us what our lives look like in this. So the greatest characteristics of our lives should be God's unconditional love and, or, or some would the, the original word would be agape, right? It's this word agape love, and it's God's unconditional, undeserved love that, that comes to us because he is who he is. So that should be our greatest characteristics of life. And we see God's unconditional love most vividly expressed in the fact that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to redeem us, to restore us, to overcome the very sin that we committed against him. So how extravagant is that? 
So that's a vivid picture of God's love because he is love, because he loved us. He was moved to, to redeem us at great cost to himself. So we focus on agape love a lot, hopefully. Um, and, and, and in Romans, Paul's hit it a couple of times. But so far in Romans, this agape, this unconditional love has always been referenced to God. We saw it a few times. I'll point out a few. Romans 5.5, 5, what, what a gift of a verse. God, a gift of a truth, not just a verse. God poured his very love into our hearts. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Romans 5.8, we see this, this beautiful picture of Christ on the cross in this, this agape love. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners and not just like this past reality, but that we would continue to sin against him. He knew that, but yet still Christ died for us. Romans 8, 35, and then also 38 through 39, we see this picture of, 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 of God holding on to us with his strong, loving, gracious hands, never letting go. Let's read that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword then we go to 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because it is His love that keeps us. So that's what we've seen so far. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Romans 12. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16 today. Um, yeah, sorry, my, my phone was making noises. So we're going to look at Romans 12, 9 through 16. They go ahead and turn there. In the rest of chapter 12 that we look to from 9 through verses 21, we see how we are to love the world with this unconditional love. So up to this point, it's been showing God's unconditional love, his agape love. And now he's turning and saying, now you, you are meant to live this out as well. So as we work through all this, this week and next week, remember that the source of this is the fact that God has shown us this love first. And that's really important. Otherwise, we could slip into kind of this moralism or legalistic kind of, I, I have to do this. But it's because we have been loved in this way that we are able to. And so as we continue through uh, the, the rest of this chapter, we'll see that this week is focused on this love being expressed amongst one another as the family of God. Next week in verses 17 through 21, we'll see how we are meant to show this love to the world. So if you can, by, by all measure, try to make both weeks so you get the complete picture. We don't want to be uh, imbalanced either way. So, so here we go. So let's just read our text in full today. Um, and, and then we'll work through it in a little bit different way. So we're going to read 9 through 16 of chapter 12. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
So again, these verses are focusing on how we are to live out the love of God uh, with one another. And one of our core values as the Bridge Montrose is that we commit to live in biblical community. And, and so this passage is so important for us if we have any real desire to live this out. And when we say to live in biblical community, what we mean is that we commit to live together as the family of God in the manner instructed in Scripture, modeled by Jesus, modeled by the early church, and orchestrated by God's redeeming love. So that's what we mean when we say this. It's not just some kind of label or moniker. It is, this is that there is a way that has been given to us, both in an instruction as well as uh, in, in our redemption that we are pursuing. And for most of us, it's hard to see what you haven't seen. I remember growing up having dreams, and like, and I would have a dream, and someone would be in my dream, and I wouldn't know them, but I was thinking, I, ha- I had this theory. I was like, I had to pass them on the street. I couldn't just create them. A more present example is my wife, Amber. She'll come out, and we had to go. This was a very good learning experience for us, and she would come out, and she would say, how does this look? Do you like this? And that's already a precarious situation. So we got to the point where I was like, okay, I can be honest, but then we still had to go through this growing opportunity where I would say, no, I don't like that. That's not a good outfit. And then she would say, well, okay, what is a good outfit? And I would say, I don't know. And then she would get really mad. She's like, you can't tell me something's not a good outfit and then not tell me what to wear. And I was like, my brain doesn't work that way. And then finally I got to the place where I could understand that I needed to say, I just need options. I need to see. So if you, if you give me like three outfits, I will happily say that's the one you should wear. But for you to come out and say, how does this look? And then I say, very honestly, because I trust you and trust me, I don't like it. Uh, please don't get mad at me when I can't tell you something else because I can't see it until I see it. And that's just how many of us are. There's very few people that are actually just visionary that can actually grasp something that's never been seen. It is possible, but most of us don't work that way. And so here's what's amazing about this passage. God knows what he's doing, right? He he said, hey, most of the people, they're human. They can't see it until they see it. So I want them to see it. And so he's giving us this picture. And what's really cool is that he's not, he's not just like painting it. He's actually showing you that you've actually experienced it, but you just didn't realize it if you have experienced the love of God in Christ. So as with that in mind, this passage just helps us see it. And we also, that helps call us beyond this because oftentimes with the first reading of this, it just feels like this bing, bang, boom, like checklist. And you end up kind of saying, okay, well, here's my moral checklist to how we are to live together. Here's my behavioral thing that I just, one more thing I need to add to my, to my just volume of how I need to be. And so this helps us understand that it's not just a checklist, but it's so much more. So we're really going to work this, work through this in the next, hopefully, 23 minutes, one tenant at a time, real quickly from here to verse 16, to really see this beautiful picture of who we're meant to be as the family of God, who we've been given to be in Christ. So first off, it starts off just with this crazy, you know, it's like words on a page, it just doesn't sound that crazy, but it's let your love be genuine. Let love be genuine. So this word genuine, we get let love be, right? So genuine here is this word that's literally unhypocritical. Right, so let your love let your love be without hypocrisy. Let it love let your love be without pretense. And we have to see, we have to read this entire text in a relational context about our relating to one another, because of course we don't want there to be hypocrisy in our faith. That we say we believe one thing and we live another way. That's that's foundational to having a true, regenerated, transformed heart. 
But here we're seeing in our relationships with one another, there should be no hypocrisy. There should be no pretense. It sounds kind of easy, but, but maybe there's a little bit more to think of. Because when you really get down into it, it's saying like there's no phony dealings with one of people. And we have a unique community here. Like we really do. If you ask people around the community, you know, what's unique, or what's unique about the bridge? What's unique? What sticks out about the bridge? They're probably, if they know us, they're probably going to say something about the community that we have, the sense of community, the sense of care and belonging. That's just something that God has, in his grace has done. And I'm so grateful for that. And it really is such a gift. And it, and it really is wonderful. But, but it's not, it didn't come on accident and it won't stay. It won't stay unless we intend to pursue something deeper. Because, you know, we say don't be hypocritical, don't, don't, you know, don't have pretense. You, you think of kind of like the, the obvious, you know, the, the, the works of manipulation and just the absolute kind of like the malicious kind of things that happen. But it's much, much deeper than that. And it's much more personal than that. Because if there's room for phoniness at all, we can end up with just a culture of niceness. We can just be a nice community that's fun to hang out with. And, and that is not the picture of God's church. That's not the picture of his redeemed people, right? That's, that's not what, what, what was meant to happen. That's not much what, what's meant to be. We can end up with just a veneer of pleasantness. But, you know, we can end up with this, with this veneer of pleasantness that puts up this front. But there's actually this, this subversive reality of gossip and backbiting and whatever else. And this is... This is unfortunately exactly what has turned many of you off to the faith in the church for so long is that they've observed you've observed this you, you've seen the, the oh hey brother I'm so glad you're here man thank oh gosh I'm so glad you're I'm so glad you come to be with us and then the next moment that person is talking about what someone else did that week and that's just what has turned so many off and, and it should because it's not what was given for us to be. To live in biblical community and to let your love be genuine is to love each other enough to offer tough love, to confront problems in sin in themselves and each other and ourselves and one another. And just think of if you've been around for the past few weeks, um, this, this theme of we are all sheep and shepherd shepherds. Come, comes really into view here once again to understand that we are sheep who, who any any given moment need care. We need to be chased down. We need to be we need to be brought back and restored. Or sometimes we're shepherds where we we need to be the ones who feel responsible for who are responsible for and see the danger that lies ahead of one of our our friends, brothers, and sisters, and say, "I will go and rescue." And and sheep often don't know they need rescuing. They don't know they're heading to a cliff. And they actually run from you, and they actually bite you. Sheep bite. They're, they're fluffy, but they bite. And so this is this picture. Like, we, we, we have to, this, this idea of letting our love be genuine is much more than just being honest. It's actually being willing to step in to what's needed. And you think about what the power of this love is. It's, it's a love without strings. It's a love for the sake of loving, not for what you can get out of it. Loving because of who you are, who you've been made and restored to in Christ, and not because of who they are or what they can do or what they can do for you. You know, when we think about 
why we should love this way. Again, we have to put this in the context of what God has accomplished in Christ. We said the wonderful mercy and hope that we have that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What this means is that it makes sense for us to love this way because we were created in God's image. And what is God? He is holy. He is true. He is faithful. He is long-suffering. And then, we were, yes, our image was marred in our fall and our sin, but yet it was restored in Christ. And if this is new language for you, I would encourage you, please invite me to coffee. Invite some, you know, if you're in a transformation group, go get coffee. Let's talk deeper with this. Um, listen to Romans over the last 18 months. Um, there's a read Romans, um, but but I, I know this is pretty quick to talk about something so big. But but we are restored in Christ, and we are being restored in His image more and more, and and we see that we are one who's been loved when we are unlovable. We were not lovable when when Christ entered in. We were shown mercy when we didn't deserve. We've been forgiven. We have been dealt with with much, much patience. And maybe I'm just, I know I have been dealt with with a lot of patience. I mean, how many times have you, if, if, you are, if you are a Christ follower, have you felt sheepish to bring a confession to the Lord once again or to ask him to remind you of something once again? Lord, help me not to forget that you are faithful. Help me not to forget that, you are more, that I am more than a conqueror in Christ. We have to learn these things. Over. God is so patient. He never chastises us for coming to him and asking him for what we need. So we are able to love this way. Our love can be genuine because we have experienced it, and we can have the strength to persevere to, to pursue the straying sheep because we have been pursued. We'll get to that more in a second. We can love this way because we've been loved this way in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 gives a great example of that. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we got to get moving. We'll move faster, I think. That was kind of foundational. Paul continues with two more imperatives in this first verse. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The, these, these, two, these two commands, imperatives, they go along with letting your love be genuine. And, and this is this call to be discerning one another. And yes, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit um, inclining our understanding and, trans- and illuminating our understanding in line with the truth of God. It's also a posture of our intentionality that in, in our discernment, we have to be present. We have to be mindful and we have to be aware, not mindless of one another, but, but uh, in tune to what's happening, caring what's happening, intentional what's happening. When it says evil here, when it says good here, it's talking about what God defines as evil and good, not just kind of things. And so it's saying in relation to God's, God's moral goodness and to, in relation to his work, abhor what is evil and, and, and hold fast love what is good. And abhor and hold fast, they're, they're meant to communicate the ends of the spectrum, right? And I was trying to think of examples, but because they're such at the ends of the spectrum, it's kind of hard to communicate because like abhor is this absolute disgust. And like, we're going to get kind of real here for a second. Uh, when, when, when I had my first child, Gavin, when he was a baby, I had this inability to change a poop diaper without just getting my hand in it. Like, it's just, I just, it was like, every, I was batting a thousand. Like, and of all the things I could bat a thousand, that's not what I wanted to, like, be really good at. And I would be changing his diaper, and then all of a sudden I just looked down, and there's just poop on my hand. 
And like in the rest of the day, that hand's ruined. I don't care how many times you watch it. Like, you know, you're just like, I'm like, I'm doing everything left-handed now. And like, and like to the degree that like that affected how I thought about that hand, that doesn't even come close to this sense of disgust we should have over what is evil. Because what is evil, what does Satan do? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. So, and, and man, back in uh, Romans Three, Matt. I, th- I remember when you taught a lot last year. He did. He had a great illustration. I don't want to retell it, but just like when we intervene, I remember him talking about Everett touching the light socket, and he was like, "After reading this, it should be not Everett. Don't touch it. It should be Everett. That will destroy you." Remember that? I remember that. But it's like that sense. Like it's because it is so destructive, and we understand it to be such, and we have such a disgust for for the work of the devil that he is so against. God's, God's heart for his creation, for his heart for redemption, that we, we feel the same way that God does. And we say, I will do anything to intervene. And then to hold fast to what is good, it is the other end of the spectrum. It's to the point where it's like, it's glue, it's almost alchemy. It's that it's you've become a part of, that you've become a part of. So that's the two pictures here. I can't even, like I thought about examples, but I didn't feel comfortable sharing the abhor, like the disgusting examples that, that would really get you there because it's just it's that disgusting. But like just to think about this holding fast to what is good. So when it comes to one another, we give no room for that which could, which could cause destruction. Give no room for it. Don't entertain it. And, I don't, and again, we're not just a bunch of legalists. We don't want to be controlling each other, but we do want to be advocating and shepherding. You are responsible for one another to administer truth in God's grace. So give no room and do everything you can to cultivate good amongst one another both in the spiritual as well as in the expression of our life. So we're to be aware and we're to have our greatest concern be the truth of God, right? Because he is our standard, and this results in us not avoiding the difficult or the risk of losing the other. And this is when it gets real. I mean, when was the last time that you didn't address something that that you knew was destructive of, of someone close to you over fear of how it could impact that relationship? Well, I mean, let's just take a moment and pause and just actually think of a person when you might, when you may have done, I know we all have, every one of us have. In her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, Rebecca Manley Pippert said this, she said, think of how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Real love stands against the deception, the lie the sin that destroys. If you love them, it is worth it, even if it means losing your beloved in the short term, if there's a chance of helping them. So let us despise what is evil, what destroys. Let us hold fast to what is good for the sake of God's glory and for one another. Okay, so next, love one another with brotherly affection. So, so what do you think of when you think of the church? What do you think of? Literally think of something. Once again, thought exercise. What do you think of? You don't have to talk, say it out loud, but just think for a second. Whatever came to mind, what, what, one of the things we're definitely supposed to think of is to think of ourselves, and I've already said it a few times, but think of ourselves as a family. And this, this little part of the verse 10 
makes it inescapable. Here we see we're supposed to think family. Love here, this word love, love one another, the word love here is the Greek word that means the, 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 the natural family love. Natural family love resulting in tender affection. So it's this innate love because you are of the same flesh, of the same, you bore one another, or, or you've been, again, adoption is a great picture too because we've been adopted in Christ. And so, again, that even happens in adoption. And so we see in this picture, this first word love is just this familial love. You love simply because, I've, I've actually commented on it, of like when my, when my um, sister got married, I never told her, her fiancé that I loved him. But the moment they got married, I didn't think about it. It wasn't a switch that I flipped. But all, I, I was struck that at the wedding ceremony, as we were kind of saying these, I said, I love you, Drew. And it was just, it was, it was like, it just happened. Like he was brought into our family. And so there's just this very natural love that comes to being a family. So we see that picture here. And then brotherly affection, Philadelphia, maybe you'd have heard of that. Um, it's literally like sibling love, family love, same as family once again. So again, it's just inescapable. We have a common connection, a common spiritual life. So you may, again, so you may have conflict, you may, but, but at the end of the day, you're family. You don't, there's no way around it. No matter what happens, at the end of the day, you're still family. And so we see this, this is the picture here. And, and you may be thinking today, like, man, Heath, we're talking a lot about conflict. Like, I, I, this is... Like, is this church okay? I thought you said it was cool. Like, it was, had a cool kind of community thing, but you're talking a lot about conflict and, like, you know. But I'll, I'll say this. If you want anything that is, that is real, especially of the relational experience, um, you have to pursue a level of relationship that pushes past niceties, that pushes past general catch-ups where you're asking each other the same questions every week and giving each other variances of the same answers, pushing past the risks. And you have to truly offer something of yourself and expect something from the other. I mean, question to think about. Are, are you close enough with anyone in your life, your communal life, especially if you're part of the bridge, to have conflict? To have like daily, kind of the day-to-day relational conflict. Are your lives bumping up against one another? Is there enough trust that you actually let your guard down to have this kind of real experience? To be honest with one another. Because it sounds funny to say, but the, the, but the closeness and trust actually allows for conflict. When we don't trust one another, we don't address things. There was a season in our marriage where, where we were pretty exasperated by our conflict. And, and I remember Amber looking at me, and she's like, Heath, are we okay? Like, are we, are we, are we broken? And I was like, yeah, we are broken. But, you know, I mean, but I was like, honey, I said, Here's the, I said we don't need to fear that we fight. We, the day that we need to be scared is when we stop fighting, when we say it's not worth it. And so this picture of, of, of close relationship actually means that we actually deal with things, and there are conflict, and we just, because we're not worried about keeping the front up, and because we're comfortable and our guard is down, sometimes our flesh peeks through, figuratively speaking, <laughs> hopefully, um, but, but we end up in these places. So let's be really clear, we're not pursuing conflict, that's not our benchmark, are we having conflict? Okay, good, we're good, but 
we can't forget, because we can't forget here that tenderness, this family love is, is a tender, affectionate care. Tenderness is the characteristic. It's a, it's a matter-of-fact love. So conflict comes when you're that close, but we're not pursuing conflict. We're pursuing to be caring and tender with one another and willing to go through what we need to go through. And, and, and you know, mission is first. Each one of us has a call on our lives in Christ. We are, on, we are each called to the responsibility of gospel mission, but God has given us the gift that we get to pursue that purpose of, re, of, of being God's instruments of bringing his redeeming work to this world together as a family. So yes, we are each on mission, but we are all on mission as a family. And I pray our family is a place where you can be known and you can know others in a way that's risky, in a way that costs something, because then we have the joy of actually identifying with Christ as he poured himself out as he endured. Okay, he moving outdo one another in showing honor. This is very similar to what Paul says in his letter to the Philippians in Philippians 2.3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's not just about being humble so that you can be good to everyone. This is about seeing your Christian brothers and sisters as they are. How are they? They are worthy of honor because they have been created in God's image, restored in Christ, loved by God as his own. Coming back to where we started. But it's not just seeing the image of the creator, but it's actually seeing Christ in them, Christ himself in residence. And I remember, so I never heard of this until a few years ago, but there's these, these roles in, in churches and in other places where you will have an artist or an author in residence. And it's where they are, they are, they are on staff, they are, on, they are within the organization producing what they produce, doing their work kind of out of this entity, and this is the very picture that we get to see in one another, that because in our salvation and restoration, Christ takes up residence in us, and he does his work through us, that we actually have great reason to show honor, that although we all do it very imperfectly, we walk with a limp, we get to see actually the work of Christ coming through one another, giving in selfless love and bold and courageous work, or just the daily abiding, whatever it is. But you want to talk about a reason for honoring one another is because we are honored. Just like in Ephesians 5, Paul says, submit to one another as unto Christ. None of us are worthy of each other submitting to one another. We have all come up way short of deserving that. Some of us are better at hiding it, but we've all come up short. But he says, as unto Christ. And so this is exactly what he's talking about. In Christ, we are worthy of this. So, um, there we are. So, we are each exhorted to honor one another and until we are worth being honored in this way. Again, if you didn't listen to last week's uh, section of Romans, uh, make sure to check that out. The simple teaching here is that we are to be more concerned with the needs of others than our own. Continuing, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, in zeal. be fervent, fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And if you come into this verse just kind of parachute dropping in or just pulling it out, it, you could very easily and quickly read it as, as just being about our spiritual lives, our pursuit of the Lord. And it certainly, it, that certainly should be characteristic of our faith, the way in which we pursue God as living sacrifices. I mean, the, the very term itself being a living sacrifice takes zeal and fervency and, and a posture to serve the Lord. But again, in the context, looking at relationally, life amongst one another, um, we, we have to read it as such. So we must use all 
of our spiritual resources to walk alongside one another on our journey of transformation together toward Jesus, which is part of our mission statement, bearing with one another in love and patience. When I read those words, I mean, something that came to mind for me of, of don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, was just enthusiasm, like, like m- motivated energy, right? Like a willingness to give effort, a desire to give effort. And if you recall, remembering this, we are meant to care about what God cares about and be about what he is about. And we see what all he is about, again, once again in Christ, of why he sent Jesus and what Jesus accomplished. So God is about his glory and his mission, and both of those are meant to be accomplished by the church, the people of God, those who have been set apart according to his will and his name. The church is his people. So to pursue God is to also apply the same depth of conviction and energy to making sure that the church, the people, are healthy. Healthy. We are not healthy unless we are, we are rooted in truth, spiritually healthy, caring for one another. Again, ministering grace, truth, mercy, all of this to each other. So this is what we are to be enthusiastic for, joyfully serving, joyfully coming alongside, joyfully giving of self with zeal and fervency all depending on the Lord. So again, moving fast, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So we have these three, these three things here. They're they're better, when we look at these three, what we see with rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, that all three of these are better expressed as well as experienced in the context of this biblical gospel-centered community. Gospel-centered being in, in, in orientation to the work of Christ that he's accomplished as well as for the purpose of what he has to do in this world. And so when we see this, these, these things, rejoicing and hope, patient tribulation, constant prayer are best expressed and experienced together. Let's look at this just to help us understand. So let's think about this. Rejoicing and hope. Have you ever accomplished something and no one else was around? It's the worst. It's the worst. Like you want, I mean, like you want someone to share it with. And if, you're, and if you're not, like, the first person you see, you tell, and they usually give you this blank look, like, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, and they're like, okay, good. You know, except for, like, when you use a baby. I remember, like, again, coming back to my first son and my second child, Brooklyn. Like, I, I, every stranger, I'm showing them a picture. Like, hey, here's, look, look what we did, you know. We did this. Like, look at this, you know. And so, like, you, you want to share, like, this. And so rejoicing in hope, again, and now, like, take that to the eternal work of what God has done in you. We have an incorruptible hope because it is held together by his hands, delivered by, by his heart and his will in Christ, not by us. Like, it is much more fun to rejoice together. And then to be patient in tribute. Like, it's horrible. To be, I mean, I remember, like, the worst wreck I ever had skiing I mean, it was a yard sale. I mean, I just head over hills, and I looked up, and there was no one around. And it was just like I, I wanted to share that pain with someone. Um, and, and so, again, you just, like, part of it is, is kind of funny like that. But then also, again, like, what's one of the greatest fears? If you get real with anyone, it is being alone. One of the greatest struggles is a sense of loneliness. And so, again, like, to go through tribulation, being patient in tribulation, 
our patience is much stronger. Because again, if you're alone, you don't know. Like, am I the only one that's facing this? Amber and I went and met with a couple who have been married for a year and thought that they, their marriage was doomed. And it turns out they had just never had anyone around them, and they were just having normal conflict. And we were like, oh, okay. Like, we, we, we went in to this, like, red flag, we're getting divorced, lunch, and, like, immediately within, like, 10 minutes, we're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, we're bracing ourselves. We're like, okay, well, okay, we can, we can do this. Like, this is, this is normal. Like, this is just being two humans being, like, in life together. And so in tri- if you're alone in tribulation, you, you don't have any point of reference. It's all just you end up kind of getting lost in your head and defining your own truth. And, and, and we get to help each other not just cling to our, our experiences, but actually clinging to the truth of God, holding fast to what is good. We could talk more about that, but for the sake of getting through this. And then being constant in prayer. We should absolutely pray by ourselves at times. We absolutely should. That should be very common and normal. We are commanded to, actually. We see Jesus do it. He got away and he spent time with the Father. But we're also meant to pray together. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And if you don't know, we do our best to pattern our life together after this verse. Okay, so contribute to to the needs of the saints, verse 13. The words used here communicate a generous sharing of resources within a foundation of fellowship, right? It's not just like, like it, it, there is a sense of knowing and connectedness is what we see in these words used here. And so it's a, and it's generous, a generous sharing. And this is where we see the picture from the early church in Acts, and we hear them, we hear it expressed that they had all things in common. And guess what? That's our goal too. But what are we not saying? We're not saying that we're pursuing a socialistic society, because that's that's just kind of us controlling. But what we're talking about is a community that has such a concern for one another that, that we are that we are so committed and once again here at responsible for one another because of why because we love one another so much that it is if it is as if we have all things in common and that comes from from this this place where we couldn't imagine one of our own going without while we have something to give that's the picture here. That's the, that's the invitation. We have to remember that what we do is an expression of who we are, an expression of what we have experienced. At great cost to himself, God met our need, and we get to do the same. And this leads to a couple of ways in which our together lives should impact others. And this is kind of a little foreshadowing to next week's verses because we see now we're talking a little bit about outsiders because it says, and seek to show hospitality. Uh, this is really helpful because we, can, we don't want to be just internal. We're, we're being told here, care for each other. But hospitality is welcoming in the outsider. Welcoming in the outsider. So we see this foreshadowing, but it's also because it's here in this run of verses, we can also see that he's saying, once again, do this together and you need each other to do this well. So not just internal care and love and generosity and sacrificialness, but also to the outsider. And, and we need to set this next to brotherly affection with this Again, this tender, caring. And what this is saying is that we together, we should balance our love for one another with our love for the strangers. And notice here, notice that it said, seek to show hospitality. 
Seek. It's active. It's intentional. Don't wait. Don't be passive. Look for opportunities. Find opportunities. Don't just wait for them to come to you. This is incarnational. What does that mean? It means the work that Jesus did when he took on flesh. He came into our need, into our mess, came alongside so that we could be transformed by him, not transform ourselves to be worthy of coming into his presence, but him making us worthy. That's the posture of, that we see here. Seek to show hospitality. Do it together. Seek, be intentional. This is where our mission statement comes from. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus. Couple that next to our name, the Bridge Montrose. We don't just build bridges and stay like through intentional living and, and purpose and say, come over here. We build the bridge. We cross the bridge. We come into life alongside, shoulder to shoulder. And as we pursue Jesus, people get exposed to him. Jesus transforms, not us. That's the picture of this. Show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. But Paul takes it beyond hospitality. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So instead of giving what you get and cursing for persecution, it says, no, it says, don't just, don't just abstain from responding. It's actually to be active in blessing them. This is not passivity. This is courageous, purposeful, and selfless. This is a call to minister the gospel to the world around us. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus, right? That he came to restore, redeem. And look how, Jesus, look how Jesus responded to us. Again, we're circling through a few themes here. Jesus responded to us by giving good for evil. We rebelled. We sinned against. We denied. He stepped in. He healed. He gave us healing for harm. What do we do to him? Put him on the cross. He gave us life for death. This is a monumental task. We need the Holy Spirit, which God has given us in our salvation, if you have believed and surrendered. And we need each other to do it well. And we'll shine all the brighter as the light of Christ when we do this together. John 13, 35 says they, they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Our love marks us. Rejoice with those, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. To love is to never stand idly by. Love will not allow us to be aloof. Is that love if you're aloof? Love is involved. It fills deeply and shares in the experience. We will share real life and therefore we'll also share real emotions. If someone's highs don't get you high and if someone's lows don't bring you low, what do you have? Is that family? Is that relationship? Don't underestimate the ministry of present presence. Be there and be where you are. Be engaged. Hear and experience with. Again, take the risk to open up and fill. Live in harmony with one another, verse 16. Literally translated, this means think the same toward one another. So again, coming back to Philippians 2, being the same mind, that is the mind of Christ, coming back to just a few couple weeks ago, be transformed by the renewing of your mind from Romans 12 too. We can live in harmony and unity because we follow Jesus. 
and our salvation. He is the head of our life. He is the Lord. We follow him in our relationship. He changes us from the inside out. And as we are changed, we become more about what he is about because we are becoming more like him. And therefore, it's not that we are wanting to just have some cultish group think. It's that we have a common identity given to us in Christ. When, when God restored us in Christ, he reconciled our relationship to him and to one another. Okay, here we go. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So we've already hit the first part pretty hard. Our humility, considering others higher than yourselves. Uh, and we hit it really well last week. Again, if you weren't here last week, please listen to it because it talks. One of the key things last week is we see that we, are, we have nothing and we also have everything. Right? We are absolute wretched sinners, but we've been redeemed in Christ, and we have, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the truth of life, and we have fellowship with God. So we really saw that we don't want to make the danger of thinking too lowly of ourselves as well as the danger of thinking too highly about ourselves, and we can only do that by Christ and the Holy Spirit. So we really hit that last week really hard, and we've hit it a little bit today, so we're not going to hit that as hard right now. But this last part, never be wise in your own sight. This is one more facet to consider with humility. This is why we have another one of our core values, submit to biblical authority. And really what we're saying is submit to the authority of God's truth in Scripture because, again, it reveals his character. It lets us know who he is, and it lets us know who we are and how we should live. So our wisdom is not just, our wisdom is just as temporal as our bodies, as everything else about us, as our understanding but God's is eternal. So again, we want to lean onto his wisdom, not our own. We want to depend on him. So we walk alongside one another. As we do this, we must always work to bring our understanding to the truth of God together. Again, think about our mission statement, right? We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. That's where we can actually disagree in a good way and bring our disagreements to the Word of God and be, be content to say, okay, as He reveals this to us, we will joyfully say, okay, our lives will conform to this. My understanding conforms to this because it is true. So we need one another to guide and guard one another from going off the rails. Also, when, you, when there is an offense or when there is some, some nearsightedness, this is calling us to go forth, kind of acknowledging that I don't see the whole picture. I don't know the whole deal. And so I get to go to each other with humility and patience, and I get to seek to understand before demanding to be understood. And so to, to not, to not uh, lean on your own wisdom, to never be wise in our own sight, is to have a sober view of what we are capable of and how we can help each other. This is how we can see that love bears all things and believes all things. This is how love calls us beyond our snap judgments so that we can enter into life alongside one another in love and grace. And we have to remember what the point of this all is. Again, we can't remove this from all the context. It is all about God's glorious work of saving us in Christ and our purpose now that we are saved for his purpose of bringing this to the entire world. I'll close with Tim Keller's uh, summary. He says, love is doing whatever it takes to give people whatever they need. Whatever it takes means you make sacrifices of emotion, action, and your rights. This kind of love means you give someone both the truth, which they may not want, and the help they need. What would happen if we set our lives towards this and continue to grow in this love every day? Let me pray. God, I'm humbled and grateful for your love. 
Lord, as we have experienced this unconditional love in Christ, as we have been loved when we're unlovable, as we have been, been rescued, as we have been pursued when we were running away, as we have been forgiven, as we, as we slandered your name with our mouths or maybe our lives, Lord, let us be reminded of that and rooted in that every day. Lord, as we, as we come to the table now, as we respond in communion, let, us, let this truth uh, penetrate deep into our hearts, flowing through our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.